Christ Church, New Malden, 22nd of November, 2020. Becky Mills speaking on A Fresh Take on the Prodigal Son. A Fresh Take on the Prodigal Son. In my last talk, A Fresh Take on the Cross, I spoke about the importance of capturing the mood and flavour of the times in which Jesus lived and immersing ourselves in the culture Jesus was immersed in. The best geographical term we can use to describe the earthly culture in which Jesus lived is Levantine. The Levant includes the modern countries of Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel and Palestine. There are many different cultures in the Levant, but there are a number of general characteristics which mark out Levantine culture. And the one I'm going to start by talking a little about today is the power of the storyteller the Al-Hakawati, in the life of the people. <clears throat> Even today, stories are such a part of our lives. Every time we meet, we want to tell a story. Even if it's only something comic about ourselves, a relative or a friend. On a deeper level, stories have always been used to explore difficult questions and help us find meaning and purpose. Stories deal with every human emotion, Anger, sadness, joy, hatred, betrayal, guilt and love. But stories attempt to paint a bigger picture which goes beyond our limited experience and helps us find our place in the enormity of creation. The storyteller in the Levant was the most influential person in the social life of the people right up until modern times. He had the power through his stories to bring about, for example, forgiveness and reconciliation between his listeners, changing lives. People ran excitedly from their houses to hear the rest of the story the Al-Hakawati had begun the previous week and waited anxiously for the event to start. People would discuss, repeat, explain and interpret the stories and even memorise them. Jesus was very much aware of the captivating power of story and found a method that would carry his teachings forever, allowing us to constantly discover new depths in them. Jesus understood the art of storytelling. He could feel the pulse of the daily life of the people around him. He could feel their anxieties, their hopes and dreams and their deepest spiritual needs. Imagine how people were drawn to Jesus who must have excelled any other Al-Halkawati in living memory in his ability to tell a timeless story. One of Jesus' best-known stories has to be the parable of the prodigal or wasteful son. It's inspired artists and writers alike for generations. Art and literature as a tool for communicating religious ideas is something that really interests me and I'm currently studying Christianity and the Arts at King's College London. Analysing religious art has been a real revelation to me. There's so much to look for and the symbolism in a religious painting has its own special language. Even looking at the different characters and how they communicate with one another and the viewer, the space they occupy and the play of light and dark have their own special significance. And that's just a way into the deeper meaning of the painting. Today, I would like to talk about Rembrandt's famous painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son, which can be seen in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. 
Not only does it show the mastery of the late Rembrandt in depicting that monumental moment of reconciliation between father and son, it's Rembrandt's own spiritual testimony to the world. Take a minute to soak up the painting. See how skilled Rembrandt is at illustrating the drama. Separate moments in the story are depicted all at once. As in most of his pictures, the light emerges from darkness, creating a timeless emotional moment that draws us in. And immediately we feel a bond with the characters we see there. On the left, the elderly bearded father, clothed in rich tasseled robes of red, and his son in a wretched state, his clothes in tatters, are reconciled in a tender embrace, suffused with an ochre-coloured light. On the right, in sharper focus, a large imposing figure towers over them, thought to be the elder son. Like the father, he's clothed in rich robes, and he appears to wring his hands in displeasure. His disapproving eyes look down on the unfolding reconciliation, while three onlookers, painted in background shades of fading light, gaze at the poignant scene unfolding before their eyes. The woman at the top left, barely visible, is probably the mother. And the figure leaning against the stone archway in the shadows is probably a servant. And the seated man, whose dress implies wealth, may be an advisor to the estate or a tax collector. The whole picture represents the darkness of human existence, illuminated by tenderness. The lack of movement, the shadowy light and the warmth of the colours create the extraordinary sense of quiet and tender forgiveness. We're all familiar with the story. The prodigal son exchanges his inheritance for a sack of gold coins. According to Deuteronomy 21.17, the younger son's share of the estate would have been one-third and the elder son two-thirds. In most cases, of course, they would receive this at their father's death, although sometimes fathers chose to divide up their inheritance early and retire from managing their estates. What's unusual in Jesus' story is that the younger son initiates the division of the estate. This shows arrogant disregard for his father's authority as head of the family. It was the equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead. The father agrees and the son literally turns his whole share into cash through selling it to others and gathering in all the money. It was shameful for the younger son to be so acquisitive and to abandon his duty of care for his father. Jesus' listeners would have found the story at this point quite incredible. The father would have beaten his son or thrown him out at least. To shame his family in such a way would bring the scorn of the whole community. In first century Judaism, it was the custom to break a large pot in front of such a wayward person and declare that they were cut off from their people unless they brought their inheritance back. The ceremony was called the Kazaza, literally the cutting off. After it was performed, the community would have nothing more to do with the person concerned. The son leaves town in a hurry. 
When he reaches the distant country, he runs through the money, spending it on loose living. The wayward son sinks to the depths of degradation and despair. We can imagine Jesus' listeners recoiling in disgust at the thought of the character in the story, longing to eat the food given to the pigs. Here's another painting by Rembrandt called The Prodigal Son in a Brothel. It's a portrait of Rembrandt himself and his wife Saskia. Rembrandt had a taste for extravagant living and when he bought an expensive house in 1639 it put him deeply into debt. Rembrandt confessed his extravagance by painting himself as the prodigal son, squandering money on drink. On top of debt came scandal. Rembrandt's servant, servant Hendrikia, was summoned by the reformed church council. The official transcripts of the hearing record that she confessed to fornication with Rembrandt the painter, and she is permanently excluded from communion. Rembrandt himself was not punished by the church, but the number of commissions he could get a good price for was dwindling. In 1656, Rembrandt was declared bankrupt. He lost his house, his art, his art collection, and soon after, his pride. He was forbidden from selling his own works and had to work for a firm set up by his servant Hendrikia and his son Titus. So we can see how Rembrandt's own spiritual journey to a certain extent mirrored the journey of the prodigal son. The son's words at his homecoming, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, resonates with Rembrandt's loss of dignity and public humiliation as a result of his own wrongdoing. Perhaps his identification with the prodigal son prompted him, two years before he died, to paint what's considered by some to be the greatest picture ever painted. Of course, the most remarkable character in the story is the father. One might even call this the parable of the running father. In a culture where senior figures are far too dignified to run anywhere, the father takes to his heels as soon as he sees his young son dragging himself home. His lavish welcome is, of course, the point of the story. Jesus is explaining why there's a party, why it's something to celebrate when people turn from going their own way and begin to go God's way. In the painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son, the younger son's degradation is shown by his shorn head, torn clothes, worn sandals and dirty half-shod feet. There can be no question of anything in him commending him to his father. Yet the forgiveness of the father bent over his son flows down to his hands, one strong and masculine, one tender and feminine, suggesting fathering and mothering at the same time. We're completely caught up in this human drama of forgiveness and reconciliation that resonates with us all. Now we turn to the stern figure in sharp focus on the right-hand side of the picture. Jesus has him say in his story, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitute, prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The father's clothing line says it all. 
we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus' answer to the Pharisees and other critics who were present in the crowd is simple. If God is fulfilling his promises before your very eyes, it's time to throw a party and celebrate. In the first section of the parable, the emphasis is on the father's costly love. From the moment he generously allows the younger son what he wanted, through to the wonderful homecoming where he preempts the disgrace that was his son's due, we have as vivid a picture as anywhere in Jesus' teaching of what God's love is like and of what Jesus himself took as the model for his own ministry of welcome to outcasts and sinners. At this point, Jesus wants to point out to the Pharisees and the lawyers that God's generosity is reaching out to anyone who's willing to turn their lives around, even to people who are habitually shunned and marginalised. Sinners and outcasts were finding themselves welcomed into fellowship with Jesus and so with God in a way that Jesus' listeners thought impossible. But whenever a work of God goes powerfully forward, there's always someone muttering in the background that God's got no right to be generous, that people who've done nothing wrong are being overlooked. Jesus' critics were so focused on the wickedness of tax collectors and sinners, and of Jesus himself for daring to eat with them despite claiming to be a prophet of God's kingdom, that they couldn't see before them a fresh expression of God's redemptive love. The portrait of the older brother is brilliantly drawn with little shifts of phrase and meaning. Your brother, says the servant, has come home, but he won't think of him like this. This son of yours, he says angrily to his father. This, your brother, says the father, reminding him gently that he was lost and is now found, dead, but now alive. Such is the power of this story that we almost believe the characters to be real people. Their human story resonates with us to such an extent. Both sons have lost the dignity of their common sonship. The prodigal son was lost in an obvious way through reckless decadence, but the older brother's sonship was also diminished through the not-so-obvious sin of self-righteousness. As we ponder this painting, we can't help being roused by the unlimited compassion and healing love of the Father. Such is the power of the parable of the prodigal son. It reminds us of the dignity of sonship restored to both sons, as well as to you and to me. It evokes the inner journey of repentance in each one of us, as we constantly stand in need of God's gracious love and forgiveness. It models for us the same generous love we should extend to one another and to all those who are vulnerable and marginalised in our own community, restoring their dignity and worth. Amen. <laughs>